Welcome to the Impact Learning Visionaries podcast, where we celebrate the unsung heroes of the learning and development industry. As always, we'll be bringing some laughter and a bit of fun along the way, but more importantly, you'll get some incredible insights, key lessons, and unique perspectives on everything related and possibly unrelated to training and development. Let's get this show on the road. Welcome, everybody, to the Impact Learning Visionaries podcast. Joining me today, we have Zainab Hafiz, who is no stranger to organizational learning strategies. As a talent development leader, she has a wealth of knowledge and experience. She is responsible for guiding her team towards creating engaging, impactful, and personalized learning programs. She's passionate about creating a culture of learning and leveraging the power of technology to achieve her organization's training and development goals. Zainab, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. All right. Let's jump right in. Um, so tell us, tell the audience, and, and I'm particularly interested in hearing a little bit about you know, your background, how you came to to be where you are right now, some of the trials, tribulations, lessons, hard knocks, all of none. Just tell us a little bit about yourself and we'll take it from there. Okay. <laughs> you know, I always have this feeling like I... I wanted to be um, a teacher. I liked to teach, but I also knew that I was not interested in being a classroom teacher. So I didn't want to teach children necessarily or be in a classroom. Um, and so that was kind of in the back of my mind that I knew that I'm good at this thing, but I wasn't sure what, what that would mean later. Um, I fell into learning and development uh, through becoming a facilitator for electronic medical record systems at Kaiser Permanente. So Prior to that, in a previous life, I was an optician. I was a general manager for LensCrafters locations in Northern California. And um, I was kind of zigzagging through life, trying to figure it out. Prior to that, I was working with kids um, in uh, for-profit education, after-school education, kind of zigzagged around. And at Kaiser is really where I fell into sort of a love for learning, learning development. So I was facilitating courses um, on the medical record software and I was just fascinated with like, how do we make these manuals? How do we, how do we know who needs what training? How do, wh- how does, how is the sausage made um, to get to this point where I can now go and deliver this? And um, that curiosity was really nurtured. I was really grateful for that opportunity at Kaiser because they, they were like, hey, you know, they had to reclass on how we build our books, uh, how we build our manuals and things like that. They were interested in sharing. And so I, I started kind of uh, following that curiosity and um, I had a leader who just reached out and said, hey, you're really, you know, you're good at this. Like you have an act for this. And are you interested in also doing some instructional design? And I was like, what is instructional design? Oh, apologies for the roommate stuff. I oh, know that, that's amazing <laughs> right there. That's, that's like, like gate crashing. I love it. Yeah, you know, that's <laughs> <laughs> Um yeah, I think I think my career has really been just led being led by my curiosity. So I fell into instructional design at Kaiser. I was doing both. I was facilitating and I was creating learning. Um, I that's where I really got into understanding how this how the sausage is made um, there, particularly. And then I started to do more sort of um, background conceptual learning, taking some classes on what is e-learning side, what is instructional design. I was really interested in it, and I realized that I wanted to follow that. Um, and I initially thought I would go and just maybe get a master's in learning technology or something like that. And um, 
I always had this dream to work abroad. I'm actually an immigrant, so I was born in Saudi Arabia. I'm Pakistani. I came to the States when I was very young. So I always had this idea. I'm an expat kid, so I had this idea that I would eventually be an expat. And um, when I started to look into what my next step would be, my leader at Kaiser actually just announced he was leaving and moving to Abu Dhabi to uh, lead a project there, a training project there that was a uh, a whole implementation of, um, it was a brand new digital hospital, a lower building, um, Playbook Clinic Abu Dhabi. And he was responsible for training all of the software applications for the entire hospital prior to opening. And so it sounded amazing. I reached out to him and I said, you know, if you're building a team, you should consider me. And he did. I was the first hire. He brought me on board and we, it was incredible in terms of career acceleration. So, you know, I went from facilitating training some instructional design for a core audience to zooming all the way out and uh, building a strategy from nothing. So from, you know, from scratch, we go in and do all of the analysis on what was really required. And it wasn't just one software application. It was building a strategy for 60 plus software applications for the entire hospital. Um, and then understanding how to bring on the trainers, find the right subject matter experts to actually make it happen and to ex execute. So the two years, um, just nonstop, just, it was a great experience. You know, I was living, living in the Middle East. It was fantastic. Um, and I also, because we had a depth of, um, we had a network from Kaiser of trainers who, who taught this, some of these software systems, we were able to bring folks that we knew already. So I had spent a year working and living and playing with some of my best friends that I had made previously, um, who, you know, joined us for this project at the end of it to deliver um, that experience. And it was fantastic. So at the end of that, I had the opportunity to stay in healthcare IT, um, but I actually decided that that wasn't what I wanted. I loved that experience and I wanted to do that anywhere, everywhere. And I wanted to broaden my scope to really any industry, any organization. So. Uh, I stepped back and I sort of took a leap to start to look at what else was out there. And I joined a consultancy in Dubai um, doing sort of bespoke training, uh, development and facilitation for really anyone, just sort of, you know, consultancy. So I was there training consultant. So I did proposals as well. So I had, again, so now it was all soft skill. So I moved from IT, IT sort of application training, tech, uh, not tech support, but end user training to uh, soft skills facilitation and development, so communication, leadership, team building exercises, uh, and that was really fun. Um, and then I had an opportunity to go back into the tech world, but for not healthcare, aviation. So that was fantastic. I was a digital adoption lead um, for a massive digital transformation that Etihad Airways was doing with in partnership with IBM. And so I had an opportunity to go there, and I was the only person, I was a one-person team uh, responsible for focus on learning uh, and that was actually a, a huge challenge because I was working within an IT team um, and uh, it was the first time that I'm sort of on my own um, I think without without support without other folks who were focused on learning and so that was a challenge in lots of ways culturally um, the, cult the working culture there was very different um, you know support wise it was really it was really challenging to advocate for what I needed um, and so, but it was great. Again, every, every experience has been a learning experience. Um, and I loved, I loved the, that I had that sort of ability to influence adoption, um, at, at the level that I did. And then 
Um, and then I came back to the States. Uh, you know, uh, life just brought me back. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I joined a SaaS company for some time, doing some product training, um, creating training for a product. And then um, and then I found my way here uh, to where I am currently with CEI. And we are building, I helped build the function here from the ground up. I was hired as a contract instructional designer to support some critical programs and then, you know, made it sort of advocated for myself when I declared that I wanted to leave the learning organization. Um, and now I do. So that's sort of my trajectory. A little bit zigzaggy, but I do feel very much like I'm a, I used to say I was a generalist and that I could do all of it. So I do still love to facilitate training. I still very much develop, uh, develop training as well, learning um, curriculum. And then now for some leading strategy, uh, organizational strategy around learning. That's, that's, uh, you're right. It's quite a zigzaggy career. Um, and, and interesting, I was going to, I was going to say that, that the reason that your cat made an, an entrance, an entrance into the background was probably because, you know, as cats do, they're thinking, I taught her everything she knows. And yes, she is taking that for minutes. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> Um, and yeah, sure. I mean, so you, you kind of went from like really tech into soft skills, which, which would have been quite a, I mean, that must've been quite a big leap from going into, into kind of quite technical, hands-on, quite kind of transactional training into something that's a little bit kind of, of, I suppose, less tactile requires a lot of different emotions, empathy, all sorts of, of new kind of, of, I suppose, mental models and approaches. I mean, how, how did you find that transition? I mean, did, was it an easy one or did you, did you kind of struggle a little bit at that stage? You know, it wasn't, it wasn't hard for me, but I, I like, <laughs> I like teaching. So I'm not one of the 96% or whatever that statistic is now, you know, is afraid of speaking more than I'm afraid of that. I actually really enjoyed being in front of a, a classroom. And so it, the transition itself wasn't challenging because I really wanted to do it. I was really excited to talk about things like um, communication and how we communicate with each other. I was really excited about personal development and growth. And so um, so it wasn't challenging in that way because I wasn't, I mean, um, I know a lot about healthcare IT, but I, it wasn't like I'm so passionate about this work, uh, you know, so standing up day after day, teaching someone how to use a software system. Um, was kind of, you know, got boring for me after a while. But growth and development is nonstop. It's continuous. And so each, you know, each class is different. Each cohort is different. Um, and you're right. I don't think the empathy changes necessarily because there's challenges with, with any training um, facing, you know, different types of learners, those who are really engaged, those who are really resistant. All of that exists in, in all scenarios. Um, but for me, I didn't find it too challenging because like I said, I was so excited to learn about these things and to teach them. So I, and it was great for me, uh, socially, I would say, even though I say I like to speak and teach, I'm not really someone who, um, initiates. So I wouldn't be that person that comes up to you and says, Hey, hi, I'm Jason. Nice to meet you. I'm Dana. Uh, you know, usually I, I sit back and, uh, assess the scene and then maybe engage or and pulled in once you get me talking I can't stop but you know it's definitely uh that initial and then so I had to overcome that a little bit personally um as a facilitator as a leader in the classroom um and I noticed that I, you know I made an effort to make sure that I was uh that I was doing that um and uh but otherwise I I really loved it I, I loved each 
each class, I loved understanding sort of where people were coming from. And like I said, in this case, it's very different. In terms of learning an application, you do have very specific goals that you can meet. Um, it's also much easier to measure uh, that versus, you know, some of the some of the intangible things like the growth. And I've always been fascinated by, um, you know, as, as someone who's, who's kind of traveled and, and worked across different countries and trained people, you know, from U.S. to the Middle East, how, how much in, in your experience does, does different cultures change the learning landscape? It changes quite a bit. I think that was also part of the challenge, which I love. But it was it was incredible to be in a room of people from literally all over the world. Um, the UAE is, I don't know the statistic anymore, but at the time it was about 87% expats, meaning people from all over the world, not biblical to the Emirates. And so that means my classroom would have people from all over the world. And so, and most of them were not, there's not a cameo, I apologize. <laughs> most of them, <laughs> that's it. When, when she want, we start seeing clients in a kitchen that we'll worry. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Um, so, you know, I had a classroom full of people from all over the world, and um, most of them were not native language speakers, English language speakers often. And so that was also a challenge. Um, and cultural norms are different um, across the world. So some cultures are less likely to speak up um, and participate and engage as much. They prefer to be called on. For example, um, you know, they, they struggle. I even teach presentation skills, for example, courses. So that was challenging because it's really hard for people. Not for me, but it's very, very hard for people. Um, there's so much that goes on there. And so um, I also, with you know, I had a group. Um, I had a group of uh, Emirati women, all Emirati women. Um, and one of my courses, I was teaching business writing to this group of women who, again, are not native English speakers. And that was a really unique and fun experience, but it was really, it was incredible to be sort of brought into their sphere um, and to gain their trust and, you know, help them, help them go through this experience. It was two days. And so I had some really great experiences. I think it just, it's, it's something that I'm aware of now uh, when I assess an audience to think about sort of what, where they might be coming from. Even in the States, you know, I live in California. It's quite diverse here. Um, we do have people from all over. Um, and I keep that in mind now as well when I'm sort of designing. And then we, and it, it just kind of broadens my idea of uh, of just the learner, like who the learner could be, and what we need, what are some of the considerations we need to think about when we're designing. Well, that's really interesting. I mean, I, I, mean, I guess the the other thing that that's I'm I'm kind of really curious about with all of this. Um, the kind of movements and transitioning into different industries uh, in different regions is just you know how you've perceived you know over the last kind of of few years yeah you know, have you have you seen kind of just learning and development generally the kind of approach to it the awareness of it the acceptance of it change at all or is it has it largely kind of stayed the same in terms of how organizations see this role yeah, you know, one of the biggest challenges I had er earlier in my career was this understanding how important learning and development is, and yet not seeing that outside of the learning and development teams, uh, not seeing that just as an importance. Um, 
And I always struggled with that. It was always like this, like I'm screaming to be heard. I'm screaming to be valued, you know, um, to show my value. And uh, I'm really fortunate now to be in a place where learning is valued. And how do we value learning is we invest in learning. And so I, I sort of declared uh, a while back that I wanted to work for organizations that valued learning because I was tired of coming in ready to make an impact and then being really disempowered or, you know, feeling just unheard. All of those things that happen because learning is kind of um, an afterthought for a lot of organizations were sort of a nice to have um, or the investment in it. You know, I think there's lots of misconceptions about how learning is created, the impact of learning, how we measure value, um, and then how do we articulate that value higher up? That's always been a challenge. So for me, um, I have seen a shift. I think people are realizing more than ever that learning has to be embedded in your culture and it's to be a continuous thing. It's not a one and done for individual like skills gaps or, you know, tools training or uh, anything like that. It's sort of, we have to keep up with the pace of change. And the only way to do that is to create a culture of continuous development, continuous learning. And I see that now more and more for sure. I've seen that shift from where I was previously uh, to where I am now. I'm really fortunate to be in a place where I felt like it is a focus. Um, for example, you know, I'm in an organization where workplace, um, workforce development is a huge strategic priority for the next five years. And you cannot have workforce development without, you know, learning, right? That's literally what it means. And it says of people's development. And so, um, and so I'm fortunate to be in a place now where, where that focus is um, like that, that is understood. And that not just learning is not just important for people to gain the right skills, um, but also for people to engage more deeply with their organization, to stay, right? To be happy and fulfilled in the work they do. It's really important. We learn that over and over and people leave a lot of times they're leaving because they don't see opportunities for growth. And that's really the only reason I've left um, any role or job other than contract work where you know, it's a, a set time. I have fun consulting, et cetera. But if I've left, uh, if I've ever left for organizations, it's because I wasn't growing um, in the way that I wanted or I wasn't feeling challenged. And so I know that to be myself person. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've, I, I can imagine that there are a lot of learning and development people. And I, I say this carefully because I'm not one of them. Um, but, well, I suppose we actually all are. I need to check myself on that. Um, but, you know, you may not know, you know, what a, a learning culture is and what it looks like. And I'm fascinated because you, you said I, I made a decision in my career that I was now going forward. I was only going to be working in organizations where there's a learning culture. So what, how do you, how do you know that you're going to be entering an organization that has a learning culture? What are the kind of symptoms, um, behaviors, properties? You know, what does it look like? Well, you sign around. <laughs> yeah, so, so it wasn't that I said I want to go into an organization that has a culture of learning. My, my, um, what I specifically said was I want, to, I want to work for organizations that value learning 
True. Meaning that if they value learning, then they are willing to invest in learning to develop those cultures of learning. So, so what it looks like, and I've I've been again very fortunate to land in a place where I've been able to develop that culture of learning, and it looks like continuous development. It looks like um, lots of opportunity for asynchronous learning, um, just-in-time learning um, for exactly like the right information at the right time that you need for your role to succeed. Um, so you know, building up um, that. And then it also looks like communities of learning. So it looks like uh, cohorts of like-minded folks. So either, you know, similar roles or similar challenges, um, folks learning together. I think um, it has to have, it's sort of a culture of all of the types of learning. So, you know, not it's sort of this idea that you have access to the right information, the right types of learning, the right types of um, development opportunities for you. Um, that that there's there's plenty of that there. It looks like a focus on leadership development, um, a focus on the challenges that employees face throughout sort of the life cycle of employee development um, at different points. Um, it looks like people being excited to join learning events. So, you know, high attendance on things. It looks like fun. Also, it looks like something that is valued. So um, some examples I'll give you is, you know, we'll have like a, new employee orientation that we completely redesigned from the ground up um, because in the pre-COVID, we would bring everyone in and they would sit in a half-day sort of lecture style with leaders uh, speaking at them and then uh, have sort of a social uh, in a social lunch with with new leaders. Um, and it was fine. I went through that because they joined pre-COVID uh, and it was okay. I definitely saw room for improvement. Obviously, I'm very critical as both a facilitator and designer. Uh, and then so when COVID hit, uh, I was in this position to lead the learning um, team and we took over redesigning that experience into a virtual experience. And um, we made it really as interactive as we could. We, we really tried to, we went through a design picking workshop and just started from scratch. And we just said, we're not going to convert one to one. Um, and we were, you know, we were empowered to do that. I think a lot of organizations would just be like, no, just get it done. Um, but we went through a process where we said, no, we want to we want to touch base with everyone who actually touches new hires. We want to look at what the process is, what the experience is, not just for this one event where they come and join orientation. What is their process to get there? What are they experiencing before they even get there? And how can we make that sort of a seamless experience, you know, for them? Um, and so we we did a lot of work around that. And then the event is really well received and well attended. We get great feedback. And also it's you know, our CEO and our chief people officer also join every single one. And so that's also indicating, again, that they value a culture of this learning, right? That they that it's important to them that they see folks and that they see folks growing and developing. So I think that's what it looks like. Um, it's sort of just continuous uh, improvement, continuous uh, offerings of types of learning and types of development opportunities. And how, how are you guys looking at... Um you know, kind of of taking taking all this amazing work that you've you've now done with onboarding. Um, I love, by the way, that you use design thinking in that process, um, and and starting to tackle some of the new challenges um, that you're starting to see on the road ahead. And and it may be anything from you know, kind of of you know, just how to how to kind of increment innovate what you've done all the way through to how to um, 
tackle with some of these 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 kind of challenges that people are saying are coming through this future of work where you know the the, the kind of the superpower of the future is going to be how adaptable organizations are and how adaptable the people working for them are and how the like the, the kind of skills that are going to be prized are things like critical thinking and and creativity and things that are notoriously difficult to teach people. Um, I'm curious how yeah, are you guys doing stuff in that space? Yeah, so you know we are start just starting off on that journey of figuring that out. So we really tackled some of the the immediate needs first. We started with onboarding because it it had to be done with COVID. There was nothing. It kind of destroyed our entire you know strategy of how we were approaching that. It was a lot. Um, right, and then and then we started to. Uh, we also have a few like key talent segments that we really needed that really needed development support because they are critical to our business and they we were losing people as fast as we were um, hiring them and we were also in a position where some of these talent segments um you know we have more work than we actually can uh, bid because we don't have enough people so it was really critical in that way if we can scale up and we can develop more people to manage this work and we can get more work we can continue to grow and so We've really been focusing on some of that initially for the last few years, and now we're really getting into those skills for future of work. So we have really come to a point where we're also at a critical growth stage. So we're looking at um, what are the what are the skills that got us here that made us really successful. What is what had really worked in it for me when I'm thinking about design thinking that really worked in developing this program. So now we're looking at what are the skills we're going to need to grow in the way we want to grow. So, you know, what are the skills we're going to need going into this new future of what work looks like? And so our challenges are really around this hybrid workforce. We, you know, um, around uh, definitely this change, resilience, things like that. Um, so we are we are working on creating a leadership development program. And when we say leadership development, we look at leader, at, you're a leader at any level. So does that mean you're a people manager? Um, and looking at those skills, trying to identify and what those leadership mindsets are that got us here, what are the mindsets that will uh, sort of accelerate our growth into the future. Um, and once we define that, then we will, you know, go forth and create an experience that includes sort of, again, that continuous learning. It's a holistic model. So it's, it incorporates asynchronous learning, coaching, co community cohorts, um, et cetera. And so, um, so we're just kind of early stages of that, but I know you know, I lean on the things that I know have worked really well for us, which is, like I said, so design thinking worked well in that situation. So now we're looking at manager, enabling our managers or, you know, frontline managers. Um, how do we get them up to speed? And so um, we've done a series of design thinking sessions and we have a focus group of managers from across the organization. So we are validating with the business that we're designing for. So we're validating with our audience, our, our target audience, um, no experience managers across the org, also new managers to understand what challenges they face? What are they facing now? Um, how does that play out? What do they think their employees are feeling and thinking and doing that, you know, going through that fantasy map, right, in design thinking? And so, um, and that's been really great because it makes us feel like we are moving in a way that will create sustainable impact. Um, again, we're not just doing what we think is best from a learning and development perspective because we've done all the research and we have a membership to Gartner and we do all these things, right? We've got all this knowledge and we do think we know and we, we kind of present that, but we also uh, create opportunity for our um, for for folks to be involved. And like I said, validating with a business has been really critical. And so it, we move slower 
But when we move much more intentionally, and we know that those things will stick. And I think that's the key. Um, and so, again, very lucky to be in that space. Coming from a tech space, you know, you don't have that luxury necessarily. When you're in a startup environment, you're go, go, go. And again, learning is not really valued in, this, in the same way um, or, you know, in a lot of spaces. And so you don't have the opportunity to say, wait, we want to take a second and think about how this really will um, work for us, how we can do it in a way that will work for us long term to get us what we need. And so. Yeah, I think, um, I think, uh, it, it's a big challenge. I think you, you lives in the, in the startup world is, is it's, it's, it's kind of interesting because on one hand there's, I've always been kind of stuck on this is, is there's a lot of value in basically, and I, I, I don't personally like this term, but moving fast and breaking stuff, right. Which is like right. one of, one of the kind of generic terms used to describe the uh, startup world versus kind of taking a more considered approach and being strategic and thoughtful in, in how you do things. Um, but, but obviously I, I suspect that somewhere in between probably lies, lies a little bit of a, a kind of a challenge is some people might, you know, kind of see the slow steady approach as being impactful, but maybe not being able to kind of move at the speed that modern kind of organizations need to move at um, to keep up with their competitors and remain like keep their competitive advantage so there's not really a question here i'm just making an observation from what i've what i've heard because I, I i ponder this all the time um being in a startup and having been in in the kind of large corporate world and having had this duality i always try and see i always live this both and kind of existence of seeing what did both of those kind of of tell me but I, I guess the, the the interesting part and what I'd really like to kind of, of um, chat to you about because you've had all of this experience is yeah, looking, looking at the industry as it stands out, looking at all of these kind of macro factors that are kind of affecting business and in in the same way affecting kind of learning and development. What do you, I mean, if, if you put yourself into the shoes of learning and development managers, what, what are you seeing as, as the biggest challenge, um, on yeah in the next kind of year or two that a lot of learning and development departments or companies are going to have to try and overcome? That's a good question. I've been thinking about this because I think I'm thinking about like, what are the challenges we're facing and honestly, what are the things that come up for us? So, um, Measuring learning impact is always and will always be a challenge, um, especially for uh, skills, soft skills. Um, uh, you know, that's always going to be an issue, a, a concern, um, and that's always challenging to do. And not just measuring it, but also, like I said, articulating the impact so that you can continue to advocate for added value, right? Continued develop, uh, continued value, continued um, investment in learning. Um, so I think that's just kind of standard across the board. But I think in the next couple of years, AI is going to be huge. It, it will. I know that for sure we're talking about how, you know, we jokingly talk about how AI will just replace instructional designers. I don't think that's the case. But I do see a world where, um, you know, there's this focus on working smarter, not harder. How do we utilize these tools? And so, you know, if creating a script takes you five minutes versus five hours, um, that's definitely going to change the way that you look at how quickly you can move and develop and, uh, you know, 
deliver programs, um, for example. And I think we're all concerned about that. Like, make, make us obsolete. Computer robots will make us obsolete. But um, I, I have those conversations. I actually, you know, met with my team and I shared a video that was recently going around LinkedIn around um, ways instructional designers can use LinkedIn or AI, rather, ChatGPT. And uh, we had a discussion around that. We found a great article as well. We had a discussion around that. And um, it was really interesting. And, you know, it was it was great to artic- like for them to say, to be able to express that concern about it uh, and call it out. You know, so Allison in the room, we're all worried that our jobs will be replaced by the robots. And so um, so that's one of the things I think um, it, it, we have to see how that's going to impact our industry, um, how people are going to uh, rely on that, how companies will, um, what emphasis companies will put on that, um, you know, and I'm not really sure. I'm still waiting to see how it kind of lands. Um, what else? I think, um, hybrid and remote learning will always be a challenge, um, because we're never going back. I know lots of companies have kind of tried to go back to full office in office, but I don't think that, I think the world has shifted and, um, and I'm not sure. Um, you know, I'm not sure we're doing enough to support that type of work model. Um, and so how does that work? How do you, how do you retain talent that's distributed? And then how do you continue to provide the same opportunities? All these great things that I'm talking about that we're developing, how do we provide the same opportunities for folks that are in the office and are not in the office so that they feel, uh, you know, adequately supported? Yeah, I think that's that's you're spot on. I think those are two very very real challenges. Um, I do think uh, I don't think the AI is going to fundamentally take people's jobs away, but I think it's going to change the nature of the work that they do. Um, and I think you know that the, it, it's 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 the greatest automation that we like the greatest automation kind of um, evolution um, that that we've kind of seen probably in in yeah since the industrial revolution um and look at how that changed changed uh, the society and and yeah i think it's you know back then if you were the guy who screwed the cap onto the toothpaste yes your your job was probably at risk but you know you then evolved into something else um and i think that's that's very much what we're going to hopefully start seeing is is this kind of human like human ai um, intelligence is where people start working with AI and doing incredible stuff. At least that's what I hope is the case. Yeah, I think about I think a lot about how how our roles will evolve with AI and what are the areas that we can start to develop ourselves in what skills and really it's the human aspects of our roles. Um, you know, it's the human, it's our human the interconnectedness that we have with um the roles that we work with, our relationships that we build with our stakeholders and subject matter experts. And, um, right. We're going to have to really dig into what is the value that we really bring. Um, yeah. 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 I think it's, it says a lot about human connection. Um, and yeah. And, and empathy. I mean, I, 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 I can imagine that computers will let someday be able to kind of mirror the behaviors of empathy, but it will never be true empathy. I think that's that's impossible to to kind of replace the technology. But it's a fun conversation. <laughs> yeah, we could, we could that could be a whole other podcast. Yeah. But I agree. I think, um, yeah, <laughs> agreed. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna finish off this with two two questions for you. Um, 
The first is, um, if you were to put yourself in the shoes of people in our audience um, and looking at the skills and the experiences that you've built over a illustrious career of doing lots of different things in different places of the world, um, and you were looking at a, a someone who was new to the position or starting out or kind of facing challenges coming into a new environment, what's that one nugget of wisdom, that one piece of advice, that one kind of, man, I wish I knew this when I started out, piece of advice that you would give to people? You know, I've always felt in my career a little bit like an on-ball um, or not quite. I think, I don't want to call it imposter syndrome. I don't, imposter syndrome is not real to me. <laughs> Um, but it comes up all the time. But I think as someone who's always felt a little bit outside, um, meaning, you know, I'm a, a brown Muslim girl. Um, I worked in, in tech. I was definitely a minority, right? Um, here, I'm definitely a minority. I think very aware of those things. I think a lot of that feeds into our ability to really um, show up and take space and really... Um, really ground in your expertise and knowledge, like what you bring, you know? So I would say, show up, um, take up space, really learn how to articulate your value wherever you are in your career, um, how you fit into the bigger picture and how you impact the bigger picture. So so show up and, and zoom out a little bit. Yeah, and, and, and that's an important thing, I think, for everybody, no matter whether you're in learning or development, is it's very easy to get lost in the noise, and sometimes you've got to try and step back and put your head above the water. Brilliant advice. Um, second question is, we always like to, on this kind of journey of continuous learning, ask our guests to share with us a recent book or a podcast, something that made a... Uh, an impact on you or made you have an aha moment or kind of some type of epiphany that you that you want to share with the audience sure yeah i um am reading um, a book called your body is not an apology uh, by sonia renee taylor um she's an activist author and it's really has um given me so like has shifted really <laughs> my mindset around um just bodies, how we think about bodies, how I think about my own body, um, you know, self-love. She um, she explores this concept of radical self-love um, and how that isn't just a personal journey, but also um, a societal journey and how sort of radical self-love is the key to overcoming a lot of social barriers and um, an oppression in general. So it's it's mind blowing to me. It's one of the the one of the things I read recently recently that really has just kind of um, like I think about a lot. You know that I think I'll be reading and rereading. I kind of go back and reread chapters because I'm going very slowly through it. But it's just really profound in the way she thinks about and connects our own ideas of how our our own ideas about our bodies and then how that plays into um, the way that we create systems and then how do we overcome those things you know actual strategies i even there's even a workbook that um it comes with the book i haven't started that yet but um, i'm excited to so that it, she's actually making it a very tangible way for you to implement you know what you're writing um, which i love 
as a learning designer, I love the fact that it comes with a workbook and strategies for you to take away. Um, so I would recommend it. Yeah, have sort of, or as we like to say, applied learning. Um, yeah, so that's brilliant. Um, and yeah, I think on that note, thank you so much for joining us, Sign Up. It was um, really interesting to find out more about your diverse experience um, and the lessons that that's, that's kind of taught you along the way. And I think there's a lot of valuable little nuggets of wisdom in there for for other people to, to pick up and learn from, um, especially because there's a lot of complexity in this new learning and development landscape and a lot of challenges. Um, it's not an easy, easy road ahead. So thank you for sharing your wisdom and experience with us. Thank you so much for having me. It was really great to chat with you, Jason. All right. And big thank you to your cats as well for the guest appearance. We, are, we often aren't lucky enough to have, you know, kind of special guest appearances on, on this podcast. So big thank you. <laughs> you'll, you'll have, you'll be, you know, they're, I call them the divas because they're named after Diana Ross and Celine Dion. Okay. So not surprised that they decided to uh, show up. And they're following my advice of taking up space and showing up. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. And, um, you know, it's been a, a real pleasure. Likewise. Take care. Hey, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Impact Learning Visionaries. If you found it interesting or helpful, please subscribe by clicking on the button down below so you don't miss our next one. Also, be sure to check out our Reality Bytes blog for more information on how technology is aiding in learning development. Links are all in the description below. Go check it out. Thanks a lot. Bye.